One of the great dilemmas in life is what do you do when you have to deliver bad news to that temperamental boss or teacher or neighbor or relative where you know they're probably going to shoot the messenger? Right? I mean, you just walk in there boldly, guns a-blazing, dropping the truth bombs and figure it all work out. Do you spend hours instead like trying to finesse the message, like to figure out a way to make it not so upsetting to the person? Do you eventually complicate it so much that the actual meaning of the message gets lost and you're not that upset about that part? Right? Or do you do you just say, you know what, I'm gonna just try and, and sweep this under the rug and, and pretend it's gonna go away? Because that usually works, not. Or Do you fake an illness and hope it's someone else's job to go deliver the bad news to the boss? What should we do in these situations? Well, I've got, I think it's good news, but we may not all appreciate it. As followers of Jesus Christ, there is actually only one valid option in any of these scenarios, and that is to live with bold integrity. To deliver the message no matter the cost, but to do so in a way that is gracious. I choose the word integrity intentionally. It's a word we've kind of trivialized in modern English. We just have made it synonymous with with honesty, but it's actually a much richer word than that. It's a much richer concept. It's it's really describing not only honesty, but, but wholeness. A consistency between what's going on inside and our heart and our mind and what's going on outside in our words and our behaviors. Integrity is terribly important, and bold integrity is terribly important because Jesus Christ is our model. He lived with bold integrity. There was no inconsistency between his thoughts and his emotions and his words and his actions. And when there was a hard message to be delivered, he did not back away from delivering it, but always with grace and love. So like Jesus, we must be living with bold integrity, but doing it in a way that is gracious, loving, principled, and authentic. That, of course, is one of the things that is so often missing in our culture today, that people crave authenticity. And all this fall, we have been examining questions like these, these questions of how are we supposed to live in a God-glorifying way when we are in such a polarized, politicized, secularized, pluralized, and individualized society. It's hard to represent Jesus accurately and adequately in our culture today. How do we do that? Day in and day out, right? Not just Sunday morning, but but Sunday afternoon and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. How do we do that? How do we do it at work? How do we do it at school? Right? How do we do it in our neighborhood? How do we do it in the grocery store? How do we do it on 995? It's hard. And so we have been answering these questions or wrestling with these questions through the lens of the experiences of of four Jewish exiles who were living in the, in the very cosmopolitan capital of the Babylonian Empire, experiences that are described to us in the book of Daniel. And so far as we've been working through, we have learned that we must live distinctively, we must live in a way that is dependent on God, we must live for God above all other things. Today, 
we will be looking at Daniel chapter 4, which teaches us how to do these things with bold integrity. Now, once again, because Daniel chapter 4 is extremely long, I will not read it all word for word, uh, as I generally prefer to do in a sermon. I will instead summarize the narrative. I will read key verses to you, and then I once again strongly encourage you to take time this afternoon, read Daniel chapter 4 on your own or with your family. You will not be sorry you invested that time in God's Word. Daniel chapter 4 is quite interesting. It is written as a royal decree from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Right? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is writing scripture for us. Isn't it interesting in and of itself? And he writes a decree to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. This is his target. And he wants to share with them the extraordinary signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Now, this is a remarkable turn of events because we have Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on earth, telling us in verse 3 how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. These are the words of the king of Babylon speaking of God. This is quite a statement coming from a man who just in the previous chapter, if you'll recall, told all those nations, languages, and peoples that they had to come and worship this giant statue he'd made. He's made a lot of progress from chapter 3 to chapter 4. And if you look carefully in chapter 3, at the end he's celebrating God's mighty power, but he refers to him as the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a distance there. He's not his God. He's the God of those guys. Or as you say in New Jersey, use guys. Here in chapter 4, verse 3, he talks about the Most High God who has done amazing things for him personally. What an experience. And it's an experience that began with a terrifying dream. And Nebuchadnezzar woke up in a sweat, presumably very unhappy, and he summons all of his wise men and his enchanters and his mystics and his, and, his, and his diviners and say, tell me what this thing means. And, of course, they can't. They have no idea. So then he calls Daniel, his chief wise man, and describes the dream for us beginning in verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. What a great dream so far. And then it all goes bad for him because an angel comes down and starts barking orders to chop down the tree cut off the branches strip off the leaves scatter the fruit the only exception the only stopping point was that they were to leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field let him be wet with the dew of heaven let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth 
Let his mind be changed from a man, so let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. And the angel declares the purpose for all of this destruction of this beautiful tree in verse 17, which is the key to understanding all of chapter 4. This sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And when Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel to interpret all this, Daniel faces a terrible dilemma. You see, it seems that Daniel immediately was gifted by God to understand what was going on here, and so he realizes he's got to deliver some really bad news. And as we have been following through Daniel, we've seen the various ways that Nebuchadnezzar wants to kill people all the time, right? He has a particular passion for for declaring that people be ripped apart limb from limb. So Daniel is, quote-unquote, alarmed at the task at hand. As verse 19 reports, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. So Daniel summons his courage, And he explains to Nebuchadnezzar that the wonderful tree was him. He, Nebuchadnezzar, is this great tree. And that God's decree is that he is going to wind up living like a wild animal for seven periods of time, which we generally interpret as seven years. And that during this period of insanity, Nebuchadnezzar was actually going to be out living in the wild with the beasts in the field, eating grass like an animal to humiliate him till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And only then would the kingdom be restored to Nebuchadnezzar. But more than that, we see that Daniel delivers what has to be the hardest message that you could ever tell your, your psycho, homicidal, king, boss. It's in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. That's a hard message to have to deliver to the boss. But it seems that Nebuchadnezzar took the news fairly well. And things might have gone well for a year, but a year later, he's out walking on his rooftop, and he congratulates himself on the greatness of everything he's done. And that's where the narrative picks up in verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. 
That's pretty freaky. Well, eventually Nebuchadnezzar does humble himself before God and his sanity is restored and he praises the power of God. And as his kingdom is restored to him, Nebuchadnezzar concludes this chapter with verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. What a remarkable turn of events for the most powerful man on earth. I want to address two key lessons from these events and what they mean for us as we live in exile in our modern day Babylon. And the first of these is what I call the lesson of Nebuchadnezzar. That God's sovereign power humbles the proud. Because here in this story, God demonstrates his absolute authority over the mightiest king and empire in all of the world. And verse 17 explains that his humiliation was specifically so that everybody else, right, the living throughout the world, would know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Right, not to put too fine a point on it, essentially God is making the point that the Nebuchadnezzar wasn't great because of all of the things he'd accomplished. Rather, Nebuchadnezzar was great because of what God had done for him. That God alone raises up kings and emperors and prime ministers and presidents, and he can lower those kings and emperors and prime ministers and presidents any time he chooses. And lower he did, right? Nebuchadnezzar literally lived like a wild animal until he learned humility before God. And just to, get, to demonstrate how badly he needed that lesson, right? Verse 30 you know, is, is the point where he is struck down because he says, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Contrast verse 30 to verses 34 and 35 after He's learned his lesson. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is the sovereign power of God. And I think there is an important lesson for each of us here as we navigate our world, a world where we see, with each passing week, disasters far greater than humanity. And also with each week, we see these sort of, what appear to be bigger and bigger or more important or more cataclysmic political contests or conflicts or outrages. And where year after year, each swing of the electoral pendulum seems to move the nation farther and farther from, from what at least half of the people vociferously demand more and more loudly. It's a terribly confusing time in which we live. It's a disturbing time in which we live. But I think the comfort we can take from this is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we can rest in God's sovereign power over the affairs of nations. 
Most of us live inside a deafening political echo chamber of our own choosing, right? Whatever it is we happen to believe, we choose sources that relentlessly push news, information, and misinformation upon us. And so we feel like everything is terribly urgent, that everything is immeasurably worse or more momentous than anything that came before us. This is why we have so much anxiety about the world today. This is why we have so much inflamed passion about the world today. This is why we have so much hand-wringing about the world's precarious geopolitical state. Why we, we have so much concern for the state of the environment. Why we have such poisonous political partisanship. Why we literally see the breakdown of civil society. And all of these are important issues. I want to be clear, right? These are serious matters about which Christians should think, should have informed opinions, should express their voice in an appropriate way on some of these. But at the same time, Daniel 4 gives us, I think, some important perspective. Because it assures us that we shouldn't be too anxious about the ebb and flow of nations or political power because God is absolutely sovereign over every nation, over every ruler, even the worst of them. He gives. He takes away. And even sometimes He restores, as He did with Nebuchadnezzar. And the bottom line goes back to verse 17, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And so while we should certainly be concerned about and engaged with our civil society, we must never let politics or partisan anger define us as Christians. Or worse, define Christianity itself. These things should never control us or consume our joy or or spew forth in unrighteous anger and poisonous words because God has absolute control and He is good. So our primary responsibility, as Dr. Anderson shared last week, is first and foremost for Christians to pray for our leaders, the ones we like and the ones we detest. And then what does God's Word promise? It promises that we will experience peace amidst our turbulent times as we rest in God's sovereignty and obey His Word in 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. Note the flow. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Note the flow that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Right? This is the call. This is God's desire for Christians that we live peaceful, godly, and dignified in every way. That doesn't mean we're not engaged, but He has a desire for how we engage. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this isn't just about us personally. How we deal with the issues of our day, how we live our lives, isn't just about our personal experience. It is about whether we hinder or help the advance of the gospel in the world around us. So as much as we can and should care about the very real human consequences of good and bad political leadership, Daniel reminds us that we shouldn't be so overly concerned about them that we compromise our Christian witness, that we compromise our integrity, the integrity of our Christian character, just to score political points or gain. 
See, part of living with a bold integrity means that we have a certain amount of confidence in this sovereign God that empowers us to to let go of some things that we used to care deeply about because we understand that we are first and foremost ambassadors of that eternal king of kings that Nebuchadnezzar was celebrating. The one who is reigning over heaven and earth right here, right now, even as we look at both political and natural catastrophe around us. Right? We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, who is fully God, who is present at creation. Scripture tells us that literally all things were made through Him. Galaxies and solar systems, mountains and rivers, atoms and molecules, everything. And yet He stepped out of heaven into our world some 2,000 years ago, took on a human nature and a body to live a life of sin-free perfection, to usher in the kingdom of God by healing, casting out demons, teaching, preaching, and working miracles before going to his death on a cross as the sacrifice required to pay the penalty for all the sin of all the world, including yours and mine. And after his death, God demonstrated that he accepted that sacrifice of Jesus as full payment for our sin debt by raising Jesus from the dead, just as he had promised. And today, the risen Christ reigns over heaven and earth, right? Remember the words of Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the king we serve. This is the king Nebuchadnezzar praised. Colossians 1.17 proclaims, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, so even as we, we feel like the world is shaking itself apart, we need to have confidence in that sovereign God because Scripture tells us right now Jesus is literally holding all aspects of the universe together. Right? We have nothing to worry about. Jesus is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And we can rest in his authority. That allows us to live with a very different kind of of approach to life. This allows us to live in an integrity between our emotions, that we can set aside our fears and our angers and anxieties over the world around us, consistency with our values as Christians, and that our words and our actions can match and align these things that Christ taught us. Nebuchadnezzar says it best in verse 3, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. That's why we can and should have bold integrity, wholeness inside and out, never compromising our Christian witness for temporary cultural or political influence, approval, gain, or protection. Why would we need to? Hebrews 13.6 proclaims, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? As we evaluate the appropriate Christian response to whatever the latest political, social, or moral outcry is, we need to let God's sovereign work in Daniel 4 just remind us. God is in control, and God opposes the proud, so we don't have to. We can deal with injustice in the world, of course. We are called to be a part of that. 
We don't have to deal with being the party that knocks down the proud. That's God's job. See, Nebuchadnezzar's downfall was his pride. And for this, God struck him with insanity. Right? Top of the world, ruling the universe, or, you know, the earth at least, pretty much all the known parts of it. Nebuchadnezzar was a tremendous builder. He had accomplished enormous things in his reign. And just like that, God put madness upon him and drove him out until he could get things into proper perspective. In the end, Nebuchadnezzar learns what we, we each need to be reminded of frequently. All those good things in our lives, all those blessings actually flow from God. James 4, 6 reiterates Nebuchadnezzar's lesson. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Right, that was the problem. Nebuchadnezzar exalted himself before God and was humbled for it. James 4.10 promises the opposite for Christians. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humbling ourselves, right? Not having to win every argument, not having to be seen as right by everyone around us. Letting go of certain preferences and desires in order to better glorify God. This is very unusual in our self-promoting culture. This is bold integrity in our culture, and God will exalt us for it. The second lesson I want to highlight today is what I call the lesson of Daniel. Speak the truth with grace and love no matter the cost. We know Nebuchadnezzar does not like bad news. He has made that abundantly clear in the first three chapters of Daniel. He's made it clear that delivering bad news was probably a good way to die. And I think that's why we see Daniel's dismay in verse 19. It seems he literally falls silent for some time, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar has to press him for the meaning of this dream. And Daniel knows he's got to deliver a hard message, but, but he needs to deliver it with grace and love. And I think as we read the text, as you spend time in the chapter today, you'll see Daniel seems to have a genuine concern for Nebuchadnezzar. It's not just fear on his part. He seems to care for this pagan despot. He seems to care for this community in which he has been exiled, which was, in fact, God's command to the Jewish people. And so in addition to delivering the news of his impending humiliation, deliver, Daniel actually has to deliver a direct rebuke to him in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. And so I think that's where we note that in addition to this rebuke, Daniel, I think, has genuine gentleness, genuine concern. He offers to Nebuchadnezzar not just the judgment of God, but the redemption that's available through God. Forgiveness, hope. He offers the desire that God's judgment would fall on Nebuchadnezzar's enemies instead. Now, like Daniel, Christians are called to speak truth. We are called to speak truth, but with bold and loving integrity. And this is hard for us, right? It's very uncomfortable. We live in an age that condemns bold biblical fidelity. An age that really only wants to hear affirmations of whatever it is people already feel like doing. Right? They want us to high-five anything and everything they, they like. 
But let's be clear, God doesn't permit us to do that. God does not permit Christians to affirm sin. He requires us to lovingly speak truth. And we have to understand, speaking God's truth with love and bold integrity is not intolerance, it's not judgmentalism, it's not any of these other mortal sins of our of our postmodern Western world. Speaking God's truth is a matter of personal and biblical integrity. It's about that wholeness and unity of our character, our life, our words, our thoughts, and the revealed truth of God. When Christians speak with bold integrity, it's really about demonstrating love and concern for those to whom we speak, just as Daniel seems to genuinely care for Nebuchadnezzar. Followers of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to be voices of truth, as Paul describes in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. By the way, that's why we need to tell the truth, because Christ is going to judge the living and the dead. We have to deal with that. We have to prepare people to deal with that themselves. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's what social media is for, and that's what nonstop 24-hour news is for. That's, That's for our itching ears. Teach us to our passions. Whichever way our passions run, we got a source for itching ears. They will pursue those teachers. will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Yes, it's not entirely popular to be truthful. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. There's no wiggle room here, friends. Integrity demands that we address sin, not ignore it. That we deal with it, not defer it. And that for the sake of others, we must live with bold integrity. But remember, as followers of Jesus Christ, who is the great shepherd, right? A shepherd doesn't beat the snot out of sheep. And so we must also fully and completely understand that when we speak that truth, we must do it with a gentle spirit and a humble awareness of our own weakness. And all too often, this is where we fall short in telling truth to people. We want to just drop those truth bombs. Which is not very shepherding of us. Even as we prophetically speak truth to others, we need to remember that we are fallen and frail creatures of dust ourselves. We need to remember that Jesus commanded us to first recognize and confess and repent of our sins and our failures before we're in any condition to talk to other people about theirs. Matthew 7 5 says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And Paul elaborates on what a life of speaking the truth with genuine integrity needs to look like for Christians. In Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
they were vulnerable to every kind of temptation. And once we can admit that, once we can actually just share some of those struggles that we experience in our lives, it does so much to authenticate our witness and to take the worst of the sting out of the truth because it makes clear that you know it's not just me got my life together telling you you got need to get your life together. No, it's me, one sinner saved by the redeeming power of Jesus Christ speaking to another person whom God loves and seeks to redeem through the power of Jesus Christ. This is a critical part of really living with bold integrity. Right? Bold honesty, genuine integrity, profound humility, tender gentleness, and total confidence in God's sovereign rule over every situation and structure. These are the values that every Christian, that every church needs to take to heart and and really embrace and rely on in these confusing and conflicted and controversial times. And I pray that we will each commit to these things today. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we must confess that at times we are confused, whipsawed, angry, outraged, offended, discouraged, depressed by the things we see going on in the world around us, whether it is natural disaster that reminds us of how small we are, whether it is the ebb and flow of politics in our country, whether it is the rise of of violence, throughout the world. And so, Lord, I just pray that you will set our hearts at ease. Help us to rest in your sovereign power, Lord. Hear us now as we as we lay before you silently those anxieties and fears that have been plaguing us, those ang- that anger that's been plaguing us, Lord. Help us to confess these things to you and to rest in your sovereign power over the world. Lord, hear our confessions. Lord, your word says that you are with us always. So release our hearts from fear and anxiety. Help us to rest in your power. Lord, we see in Daniel your power over even the most extreme of rulers in the world. So let us release some of the powerful emotion that might keep us from glorifying you in our daily lives because of a sense of outrage or fear. But Lord, don't let us shrink back into our little protected walls of our church or our home. Or lay on our heart those areas where you call us to speak with bold integrity. Lord, first and foremost, free our tongues to lovingly share the good news with those who have not yet embraced your Son as Lord and Savior. Lord, we know that judgment awaits. 
Lord, if there are any here who have not yet put their faith in your Son as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would be working in their heart. And that perhaps the fears and anxieties and worries of the world around us would you would use to your glory by encouraging them to find rest in your arms. Lord God, help us to find the right tone and manner of speaking with bold but loving integrity into the situations we encounter in our daily lives, in our workplaces, in our marketplaces, in our places of leisure, in our online presence. Lord, help us to glorify you, first and foremost. Help us to resist the temptation to compromise our Christian witness, to compromise the advance of the gospel because of some earthly concern. Help us to find the path to engage properly with our culture in a way that draws all the attention and the glory to you, Lord. And give us the courage to engage in that way. That distinctive Christian way you call us to engage, a salt and light. That is not about temporal short-term gain or power or money. But it's about your kingdom. Lord God, make us kingdom people. Help us to live as kingdom people. Help this place to be a kingdom outpost that is faithful to what you've called us to do, Lord. Lord God, integrity speaks to both our inward and outward conduct. And so, Lord, I pray that you will increasingly align our hearts and our minds, our words and our actions, that they may be unified in one, ever more like Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, with each passing day. Lord, we ask these things in his precious and holy name. Amen.